ready to grow your business by building relationships online and offline? Are you looking for a system to attract new prospects and nurture your past clients? Maybe you're a business owner, a sales professional, or an entrepreneur. If you are, then great. Join me, Janice Porter, as we blast past your barriers to success and explore the power of relationships for your business. And welcome to the Relationships Rule Podcast. Hello, everyone, and again, welcome to the Relationships Rule podcast. I'm here on a rainy day in Vancouver with my guest, who's also from Vancouver this week, David Guthrow. Welcome to the call, David. And I hope I got your name right this time. You, you absolutely did. It was perfect, perfect, <laughs> phonetically perfect. Thank you so much. I want to tell my audience a little bit about you. And it all starts with the fact that David, as I, I think, are seasoned in what we do. We've been around for a while, but he has definitely been a speaker. Um, seasoned, he says, but not too spicy. He's been a speaker for over uh, and had over 40 years experience. He's a sought-after consultant who is best known for his creative presentations, playful demeanor, and relentless focus on delivering value to his clients, colleagues, and community. And I can attest to that. I've seen him in action, and I love it which is why he's here today. I'm so thrilled to have him here. Um, David's experience comes from working with clients on four continents in organizations that range from mining, energy, healthcare, and financial services to high-tech, biotech, government, and the not-for-profit sector. As the father of a precocious 21-year-old daughter, Anna, he has been forced to embrace the qualities of humility, patience, good humor, and acceptance of his own parental inadequacies. The main focus of his current business involves working with individuals and groups who have no one else to point to as excuses for their own inaction. I love that. This has led him to spend the majority of his time helping executive teams and boards make the tough decisions required to grow their businesses in a complex and unpredictable economic environment. However, his deepest personal passion is to help people discover the courage that, that he believes they all possess and then inspire them to act on it. Whew, that's pretty heavy at the end there, David. Now, I know that, um, you know, we send these bios out. Is your daughter still 21? I just want to double check. It's very current, yes. She's okay. 21 going on 15 and 30. Got it. Okay, yes. Um, we'll wait till you, um, yes. I think 20, is she in school? No, she, uh, she is, she loves to learn, does not like to be taught. So she's, you know, whipped through high school, uh, couldn't wait to get out two years and one. You don't get marks that are good enough to get you into a BC school. So she went to Brandon University for three weeks <laughs> and hated that, said, I didn't like high school. Why do I think I like this? So she's been working and uh, in various, various jobs. She loves teaching pottery, which she's done for many years. And uh, from living at home, she was able to accumulate enough to actually buy her own condo with no help from us down in Gastown. So she's a pretty impressive young woman and that's totally objective. Uh, yes, of course, that's fabulous. Uh, you know, my older daughter, who's way older than 21, um, did the same thing when she finished high school. She did a really good job in school and she loves learning. She went to Simon Fraser for two weeks. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> she came home and she said, I don't wanna be here right now. I wanna go traveling. And I said, well, if you can afford it, fine. But took her a while she worked and then she traveled and then she went back and finished her degree actually but you know it's and then and then 
started her own business. So like, go figure, degree in English and theater didn't well, fit, but it was all good. Anyways, it's very funny that you said that because it took me back. <laughs> so um, I just want to share that with my audience that we actually first, I think we first actually met through the beginning of the uh, COVID revolution of Zoom and uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mary Charlson, put on this uh, Zoom happy hour every week. And that's where I met you. Am I correct? Absolutely correct. 100%. So the there were many things that started through the beginning of COVID that really were special. And one was learning how to how to be on Zoom, how to network on Zoom, and so on. And I'm guessing that your primary business of facilitating, speaking, um, you know, running all those uh, in-person things came to an abrupt halt and you had to do a pivot work-wise. Yeah, a screech is the sound that occurs to me, how, how quickly I stopped. Fortunately, I've been using Zoom for a couple of years before COVID-19, so it was quite easy to gravitate towards that. Well, you are now such a pro that every time I see you, you have a different backdrop, which just, but not ones where your arm gets lost in the, in the movement. No, I love that. no you, I can move my hands. <laughs> yes, I know. I love it. I love it. So one of the things that um, I know that you had been uh, more comfortable on Zoom than most people, but a lot of the people that you were um, then working with probably weren't. So did you have to like, pivot also how you, I mean, how you teach people, how you facilitate, how you spoke to them? Because I know I still have a hard time when it comes to teaching and I can't see the people that I'm teaching. Yeah, so, so a couple of things. First of all, I've, I've never used Zoom webinar because I don't like one-way delivery. I mean, part of my, my expertise is around engaging people in conversations. And, and so it's always been, typically it's been on Zoom. Uh, for a lot of my clients, I'd say just about all my clients are on Teams, which uh, I don't particularly like, but it's got a place for it. But as an external person, it's not the best, but uh, they seem to be quite happy to use Zoom. So for example, I was doing a, a, a program to help three organizations amalgamate uh, in federal or uh, provincial organizations, and they all use Teams. But whenever we got together with the three groups, we always did it on Zoom. And, and for some cases, when it was an all hands and all employees, 250 people on Zoom, I would have known how to start doing that in a useful way in Teams. Because at the time, you couldn't do breakout rooms on Teams and things like that. And uh, because the technology, we're able to keep people fully engaged and not just listening at the end of what I might have to say from this microphone. So when you're doing that kind of a, a setup on Zoom, you weren't on Zoom webinar then, you were on the, no, okay. Zoom meetings. So I've got an account where I can handle up to 500 participants, either in meetings or webinars. So it, it works for anything I might get involved in. Right. But, um, and I found um, recently I've been working with some um, bigger companies and they use Teams for their mm -hmm. internal, but they also still use, the one I'm doing on Thursday is using... Um, uh, go to webinar, which again, I know, like I've been there, done that, but their clients are using. It. So I had to relearn that a little bit. And, and again, I'm, I can't see my audience. So I find that really frustrating. So um, being able to use zoom, not zoom webinar, but zoom, mm -hmm. where you can see your audience, how do you deal with I, like your 
brilliant at engaging people. You really are. I mean, we were at an event, a CAPS event um, mm -hmm. together, actually my first in-person event in two years, which was very oh. scary for me, mm -hmm. but I was thrilled to be able to be there with the people that uh, are part of that organization. And you were emceeing or uh, facilitating that event. And you do it so well. And we had Zoom people, and we had real people there, and you had a panel and you had, you know, everything going on. You did something right at the beginning that just brought the audience and uh, audiences all together. And you are very, very good at engaging people. So tell me the clue, the keys to that. Tell me the key to engaging your audience on screen, off screen. Uh... So one thing, I'm not sure how to actually put it in words, but I, uh, you know, I think that I kind of have a warmth that come across that it's, this isn't about me, it's about the audience, mm -hmm. right? And that, that uh, I feel I don't have anything to prove. My purpose there is for help them, help them engage in conversations that they might not otherwise. So, you know, I don't invoke a lot of the competition that, that quite comes up and it, comes up quite often, quite often comes up amongst guys in particular, because, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, so, you're so smart, right? So they ask the gotcha questions and things like that. And I just, I'm not interested in participating in that game. And I figure I've got nothing to prove to anyone. So I'll do my, I'll do my best work. And if they like it, great. And if they don't, so how do I engage people? And it's, uh, it's by being intentional in the design. So asking questions, you know, sometimes it's, using technology. I've got a number of different cameras I can use to make it seem as, as realistic as possible. Ah. And, I, and I think it's just about being human and being quite comfortable with being imperfect. So, That's a good know, one. Yeah. so I don't, I don't have every hair in place. If I had hair, I put this on to keep the glare off. It's more for your benefit than mine. And uh, I mean, what, what you see is what you get. So if I'm working with a group of a couple hundred people online, or I'm having a conversation with someone in person, I'm the same. I'm not a different person on stage than off. And I think there's a, a certain degree of comfort and trust that that tends to build. I agree. And I think that you are indeed the same person on stage and off stage and comfortable with who you are. I think what I'm trying to get at, though, is and I've seen this because I call it reading your audience. And of course, when you're mm -hmm. on Zoom call with, you know, 10 people or 100 people, half of them have their cameras off. Yep. And I don't know about you, but I feed off my audience. And so if I'm talking to a, just a screen of PowerPoint or three people on screen and the rest hidden, I have a hard time feeling as though I'm engaging them. Or should it even matter? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think having that, that visual feedback is really important. I mean, it's rare that I'll do something if I'm hosting something where people, people are on the screen. That's, that's part of showing up. I know for some people, there's concerns about, about privacy and, and there's all sorts of other issues. So if there's a specific issue, I'm totally fine with them being off screen. Unless they're going into a breakout room, then it's really important that they be able to see those, those other faces. But I don't just expect that to give people a reason why so that it's not just me and it's my ego i want to see people and stuff like that there's some genuine benefits that helps me be better that is more value to them so and yeah so and plus i've been doing it for years so like i could i could talk to the camera for a while sometimes and i haven't had to do it recently but i used to put a uh, 
a ball cap on top of a camera. So I kind of imagine that I was talking to that person in the ball cap. So there's different things and it's much about how I feel as opposed to any technique that I use that people pick up on, I think. Okay, but like I remember trying to teach a friend of mine how to engage her audience and build rapport with the audience in a face-to-face -face situation where she was telling her story, she was doing her slides on the screen and there was an actual audience, this was pre-COVID. And I don't know that I, could, that I could teach her how to do it. It's something that came innately to me, you know? It's, and, and do you know what I'm getting at? I have a hunch that you probably could, Janice. And, and the way to do that is maybe it's hard to do on the spot, but when you're having that conversation with your client, recording it, and then going back and together look at it, and you'd be able to pull, I'm sure you'd be able to point things out that you might not feel in the moment, but we have the pressure off and you're just looking at it together. You can just, and all you need to do is pick two or three things and it'll make a huge difference for them. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's doable. You have to, there's some workarounds, but. Sure. Sure. So um, I know, I just think that it, for me, it's so important that relationships um, get, that you get connected to people somehow so that it's funny. Where was I? Um, I don't even remember where I was. Oh, I've just gone completely blank, but I remember that this person that, oh, I was at the CAPS event. Yes, it was at the CAPS event because I haven't been anywhere else. So of course it was there. And um, one of the speakers, I hadn't seen her for a long time. And as, if you recall, I was sitting near the front of the room. And, you know, when you're the speaker, I'm sure that when you see a familiar face, you speak to that person, right? And she was doing that a lot to me and to someone on the other side of the room. And I think that's a technique that really works in person would do you use that type of thing when i'm in person or when i'm online no in person in person oh ab absolutely i mean it's a it's a conversation mm -hmm. if we talking to 50 people you only have a conversation with one at a time so so but moving around so you're actually fixing on the other person because i've seen some people that do this i know it's not going to you know show up really well just an audio but while you're kind of fanning over the crowd you know just kind of moving back and forth like that not connecting with anybody Yes. I actually think that's worse than yes. being fixated on one person. I agree. I agree. Cause you're not, it's, it's like, I used to have a professor at UBC who was an English professor mm -hmm. and English, like second year English it was. And he talked the entire year to the ceiling. He never looked at any of us. Yeah. So how could you engage with the person? I always remember that because that was a long time ago, but it stuck with me because I could never relate to that professor. Now, we, we don't know why that is. We do know like there's some cultural differences, like in some, some cultures, it's considered disrespectful to look at someone who's, who is senior to you or an elder and things like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, usually it's a cultural protocol. Sometimes it's for comfort. Like, I don't know what that professor's issue might've been, but maybe, maybe he's like a raging introvert and yeah. just gets thrown off by looking at people. And so one way that he can keep concentrating is to look at the ceiling that might work for him doesn't work particularly well for the people he's lecturing to as you've pointed out right right so um what would you say to um to people starting out today as speakers and facilitators um what advice would you give them don't do it 
I don't need more competition. <laughs> However, if I was being more magnanimous, well, so, I mean, given the focus of, of your podcast, Janice, like, I, I think relationships are everything, legitimate relationships. And, and uh, I might have gone too far in terms of, of I'm much more interested in the relationships than the revenue they might generate, which is why I'm not a great entrepreneur. But I think that that connection is there. And to have a relationship with the person, not just with their bank account. Right. Well, when you have that relationship with a person and it's solid, that does lead to more business usually because they'll bring you referrals. Right, exactly. And, and that's certainly been my experience. Like I think since I moved out West, I haven't, I haven't done any proactive marketing. I have responded to maybe two, maybe three RFPs in the last 20 years. I just, I don't like doing it. And uh, so all the businesses come by referrals and, and just to give, I was thinking about this on the way in. I've been doing a lot of work in the in the credit union system over the years, mm -hmm. and the the first thing I did was at a a meeting with the CEOs of the top thirty by revenue size credit unions in the country, and it was in I think it was actually in Hawaii. Not a bad start. Nice. And and because of that, and because of the way it went, I ended up getting you know probably close to over over $500,000 with a business over the years with one credit union and another credit union. And, a, and it's not all at once. You know, right. I don't have too many like that, but it was all by referral. So every year for, for 10 years, I did something, I hosted something called the Large Credit Union Conference. And whoever was the host the next year just said, well, of course, you'll be helping us with it, won't you? And it sort of evolved like that. And then working with the credit unions and system partners and the provincial organizations and the national organization. And it's been great. And it's all because they know that I'm about, you know, getting them the results they're looking for rather than me just making as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. And people get that. But I'll, I'll spend a lot of time maintaining relationships, even if there's no business that comes of it, just because I really like the people. And it might be 10 years later when you get it, or it might be never. But I'd say in this business, if you don't like people, you know, might want to think about another business and just sell widgets. But if you're going to be speaking yeah. and being a change agent for organizations, you, yeah. you have to like people or maybe even uh, love people. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to like everybody. But as a generic kind of thing, I'd say it's really important that you like people. Of course it is. I totally agree with you. So have you, um, have you got a story that was probably your best experience and a story that was your worst experience? Uh, yeah, not necessarily related to the topic. I'll talk about the worst experience. And uh, that's, there's a conference meeting that was here in Vancouver. And I, I got approached to do an after dinner presentation. <laughs> and, uh -oh. Yeah, my favorite thing. And while I was talking to a number, I always like to come early and talk to people and get a sense, you know, lay of the land. And people were, were complaining about how at lunchtime, you know, they kept interrupting us with these presentations. We just want to talk to our colleagues from all over the place. And I kind of got that. And so when it was approaching time for dinner and just kind of see the conversations, I went to the organizers and said, you know, I, I don't think I should go on. Like, you don't need to pay me. This is just the wrong thing for a group. Oh, no, no, they'll love it, they'll love it. I said, no, I really, I really don't think I should, this doesn't feel like the right thing to do, but I got talked into it and, uh, and I did it. And as soon as I started, I thought, 
you know, I should have trusted my gut and held tight because people were into their conversations. The last thing they needed me to do was to come up and talk about something that wasn't even relevant, particularly for what, what they were doing. And that, and that became very clear in what some of the people were saying when I was engaging them in conversation. And I probably beat myself up for probably a couple of weeks because I didn't trust my instincts on that and just take a stand and say, no. And like, I don't care if you never hire me again, this is the wrong thing to do. So now at my tender age, I just kind of say, nope, not doing it. <laughs> I'm yeah. out of here and yes, sign the door and lock it. Huge. That was a huge um, message in more than one way. I mean, one, um, don't, um, I want to say bastardize yourself in the sense that, excuse the, the language, but in the sense that you knew your gut was telling you not to do it and yeah. you got caught between a rock and a hard place. And now you don't have to do that. Now you've learned that. Right. And, and that actually speaks to something I was just talking about with um, an interview I just did. You know, I, I do LinkedIn training. And one of the things I said is that um, when you're building your profile, you want to build your profile so that it speaks to the people that you want to attract, that you yeah. want to work with, and actually yeah. repel the ones you don't, in yeah. a way, right? Even though that sounds weird. And that's the very same thing. It's like, you don't want to work with those people. And you don't have to. So, yeah, that's that was a that's a good story. It's a really good example, actually. Yeah, it was it was it was very uncomfortable. A lot of the folks in there were my professional colleagues. So, as well as not trusting myself, I was embarrassed. Yeah, but you didn't need to be because you were fulfilling. You know, the it wasn't you that was the problem. It was the audience, and it, you know. Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, unfortunately, this business blaming the audience usually isn't a, a good strategy for for longevity in the business. But, um, you know, and then, I guess, on the other side, things that I've really loved, uh, myself and a colleague of mine, we used to uh, host a section of Canadian National, uh, the Canadian Credit Union Conference, and there'd be like six or 700 people in the room. And being able to engage that many people is just a blast. Like they... I think at a conference, if you have a bunch of people speaking to the audience and there's no chance for them to talk or to reflect, that's actually abusing their intellectual capital because mm -hmm. it's not tying into what they're capable of. So to be able to work with six or 700 people and actually make it interactive mm -hmm. is wonderful and get people engaging and, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, finding ways to make it fun, things like that. So, so that uh, the structure almost encourages or uh, coercism is too strong a word, but uh, to engage, I'll give you a quick example. Sure. So there must have been, I don't know how many tables out of 660 tables or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I had, so there was a question that I posed to the group that they had to take some time thinking about. Then you're not going to get 60 tables recording out. So I said, what we're going to do is just going to get a sample. And I had uh, a random number generator on my iPhone. So I said, I'm just going to press this random number generator. And as soon as that number comes up, stand up, get to the microphone and uh, give a brief summary. So that structure kind of uh, encouraged everyone to participate in the conversation because if their number was called, they didn't want to get embarrassed and you know have nothing to say at the microphone. And in fact, we made it so much fun that some groups didn't want to wait to be selected. Said, so, okay, random number, pick table 24, because we want to talk. So it was just generating this excitement. But when you have 600 people talking and getting value, that's a fabulous feeling because you know you're making a difference in people's lives. 
Mm -hmm. And they're all listening to you and they're engaging and they're, yeah, and they're going to go away with a really positive feeling about the experience. Yeah. And you it's did, fun. Yeah. I, I like having fun. When, uh, when I was at that event with you last week, um, you had a panel of four people and rather than having them just introduce themselves, you did a little Q&A with them that was kind of fun and asked them random questions. No, they weren't random to you, but they seemed like random questions. They weren't random because they took their bios and put it into another format and had them raise their hands. Do you remember doing that? I should. That was a total experiment. I mean, that whole thing was an experiment. I thought, okay, these are my people. I'm going to have fun and try to get some value. So so Janice, what you're referring to is they all sent me their, their background information. I thought some had a lot, some had a little. So I went to their LinkedIn profiles. So that was a standard and took all the facts in the LinkedIn profiles and shuffled them around. And then just uh, had them hold up a card. It was kind of like a version of have you ever, or have you never kind of thing. And so, you know, have you ever won an actual award for woman of the year, or have you ever been a TEDx speaker? And, and for some of them, there are multiple people put their hands up. Yes. Because I didn't want to spend a lot of time on the resume. I wanted people to get a sense of, of the capability and the diversity of the group. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter who said what, it was just kind of a gestalt, like getting a sense of, of what's up fun. there. So it was really fun. And it was a great icebreaker in a sense for, for the, uh, the people that were up there for the and last yeah. <laughs> and, and so did they, which is good. I know. I know. And that's what I love about you. You're so entertaining without you even thinking about it. It's just who you are. So tell me, what do you love to do when you're not working? When I'm not working, let's see. So in those five minutes every week, I, uh, well, there's a number of things like I love taking my dog or dogs for walks in Lighthouse Park in the morning before I come into the office. That's uh, that's really important for me and for them. It just gets my day started started well. So, you know, I uh, sometimes I love just sitting down and uh, and thinking. Like sometimes I'll come home from the office. My office isn't in my home. Well, it's not. Okay. No, no. So it's uh, I'll come home. And we've got this little wiener dog, miniature dachshund named Maggie. And I'll just sit down on the couch and outside the window, I can see the bird feeders, the birds coming in and Maggie just curls up kind of like a cat on my lap. And I'll zone out for an hour and think about just nothing, just breathing and chilling out. So I enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. I, I quite enjoy keeping my friends connected. So when COVID-19 came along, uh, I went to the University of Waterloo and some of my best times were working as a Don in the university residence. Mm. And so there's a group of us that were Dons at the same time that I just said, hey, you want to get together just like for an hour on a Sunday afternoon. So for probably 18 months, every two or three weeks, late Sunday afternoon, we get together and just and just chat. And just uh, just to be with those people that you have strong relationships with. I just absolutely love doing that. I love connecting people. On, on the business side of things, I love to see, you know, I'll read something and I think, oh, Janice might enjoy this or so-and-so might enjoy this. And just providing value to, to my friends because why would I not? Right. Right? They can use this. It doesn't make any difference to me. That, that's if I can contribute with that. And I guess another thing is I really enjoy working with, with young leaders. So, Oh, awesome. Like in, in a lot of organizations, young, like in the credit union system, for some of the young leader organizations, that means you're under 40, which uh -huh. I don't think is particularly young. But, 
but working with these folks in conferences and things like that, where they're so keen on doing a good job, they don't have a lot of baggage. They're not mired in the politics yet. And they're really trying to help each other out. Mm -hmm. I just love working with folks like that and, and uh, volunteering with groups like Leadership Vancouver Island, who are, you know, I volunteer some time with them once a year to help them develop some leadership skills that they can apply in their communities. So I, I just, I love, I love doing that sort of thing. And the last one I'll mention is I really, like I have this curiosity bone or maybe it's a curiosity muscle that needs to be constantly exercised. So anytime I can have a, a conversation with an interesting person about anything, absolutely love doing that. Just, it just, it fills me up. So did you read the thing I sent you, the document I sent you about this podcast? Curiosity. Oh yeah, I saw, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's in my, wheel, that's in my that wheelhouse. Purpose, but no, I mean, curiosity, you just make me light up because that's my favorite thing, my favorite words. So, so now I'm, I must ask you, um, my two-part question, what are you most curious about right now? Mm -hmm. And two, do you think curiosity is innate or learned? You can answer in either order. Well, I'll start with the second one because I, you know, I equate curiosity with learning. I remember there was a, a book called Growing Young or Growing Younger, Growing Young, I think by mm -hmm. Ashley Montague, cultural anthropologist. And he said, you know, we're only born with two instincts. We're born with a sucking instinct, and that's the way we get nourishment, and a learning instinct. That's the way we get, you know, acquire everything else. And I love that thought of learning be, being an instinct. Like we're born with that. That's the way we gather information in. So, um, so I guess that's my view on, on curiosity. What am I curious, curious about? You know, unfortunately, darn near anything. Like if, if you saw my bookshelves here, you'd see all kinds of books that indicate my interest, not, not my knowledge, because you don't have time to read them. Right, oh, right. I'll get around to that one time. What am I looking at here? Uh, think better, predictable surprises, creativity, the handbook of board governance, human thought, uh, you know, um, thinkers toolkit, I'm looking over here, augmented, you know, just huge range. And I, so I'm really interested in that, but I never look at it. So mm -hmm. I'm curious about a lot of things that's broad, but not deep. So, you know, I'm happy to engage in a conversation about just about anything. I can offer opinion on anything, largely totally uninformed, but at least to be able to have a conversation. So, you know, some of the big things I'm curious about, you know, how much discomfort and inconvenience are people willing to put up with in order to address the crisis that we have in the climate? because we can't keep all keep doing the same things and hope that someone else is going to uh -huh. cause it to go away. So I'm really curious about what those things are and how to get people engaged. So they take it as a personal initiative rather than someone else should do it. It should be the government and all those kinds of things. I'm uh -huh. intensely curious about that. I'm curious about, you know, when you talk about diversity and things like that, uh -huh. it's, uh, it's easy to talk about diversity and, but how do you get, people who are diverse to come together and have a conversation with each other rather than about each other. Mm. Like, you know, I'd, I'd be very curious about, uh, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Mm -hmm. And I only know three Black people in my circle. One is in San Francisco, one is in Orlando, Florida, and the other is one of my colleagues in Toronto. I don't, I don't know people and I want to talk with people, not about people. 
-hmm. or like I've done some work with various indigenous groups and I'm the last person that's going to say about what goes on in those communities because each one I talk about or I work with, it's all different. But how do you get people to come together in the room and say, we just want to learn about each other, who we are as people? So I'm curious how to go about doing that. And what would the motivation be for bringing that about? Because I think that's really important work to do. I think that's a whole other conversation. I'm, I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really, that's really interesting. That that is it's food for thought, definitely. Um, yeah, and it's spouting questions in my mind around that as well. And a couple of things you said um, about wanting to um, work, enjoying working with the younger people, started me thinking about a couple of people I'd love to introduce to you. That and one is someone in the credit union industry who may already be connected to you, but we'll talk about that offline. And secondly, um, with all the books that you just talked about on your bookshelf, so. And I know I'm the same. I buy books or I get books sent to me and they sit in a pile and I love books, but I never get to read them all. So do you now still, is that your primary way of reading a book uh, in, uh, in a real book in your hands or is it on an audible? Is it on, you know, um, a, a Kindle? How do you, or is it podcast? What is it? Podcasts are my number one source of information. No, you don't have to no. say it. Okay. Okay. So that's not true. Well, it may be true. So I guess a couple of different, it, there's a lot of it depends. I used to love listening to audiobooks, and it was when my, uh, my 15 year old dog was healthier and we could go for two hour walks yeah. and I could get a lot of listening done. You know, now she's good for about, you know, 15 or 20 minutes and I have to be watching where she is and picking up her stick and stuff like that. So it's hard to get into an audible book, but if I'm uh, driving long yeah. distance, mm -hmm. I love, and it's not snowing and things like that. I love to listen to audible books. And if I'm walking, I love to. Can't listen to them in the house because I fall asleep. I'm the same. Yeah. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do. <laughs> if you were to look, I've probably got 200 uh, books on my iPad and my Kindle. And they would be just a, a concentrated version of what's on my bookshelf. <laughs> lots of books. Yes, I'll get around to it. So nice to have it there. If ever I have to wait for somebody, I've got lots of stuff to read. Uh, there's some things that I really like the book. I like, I like the feel yes. of a book. Yes. Right? Yes. And even when there's like, I'm taking a, a, a sort of month-long workshop on dialogue as a, a mm -hmm. conversation form. And they sent the book out mm -hmm. in in a pdf format so what do i do i printed the sucker out right because i want to be able to turn the pages i want to be able to jump back and i want to underline things so maybe that's a little bit old school and not great for the environment and uh but that's what works for me and so, it's a tactile thing and that's what some people need so for sure well in some books even the feel of the book like there's something about the cover that just makes you want to pick it up mm -hmm. it's a it's a tactile thing where they've obviously put some thought into that so yeah. it's not just about the words on the page are you you have, have you written a book you haven't written a book have you no have, no, no. I, as a matter of fact i used to be on a uh uh, a TV kind of a talk show with Fanny Kiefer on. I know uh, Fanny. She's wonderful. So, I saw her last week actually for the first time in a long time. Yeah. So she was great. So myself and two colleagues, Cheryl Cran and Stephen Hammond and I were on uh, Fanny as uh, the work, the work gang. Okay. And Fanny would introduce me. Yes, this is uh, Stephen Hammond, author of this, this, this. You would have seen Stephen at the CAPS meeting. Yeah. This is Cheryl Cran, the author of this, this, this. And, and David, you're. Um, 
<laughs> I, I said, I'm a author, an <laughs> author, not an author. And, and the funny thing was my daughter, when she was, uh, when she was younger, she was in elementary school, she'd come down to the studio. Sometimes I bring her down with me, which is kind of cool. And for one of her projects, she, she did a, a booklet on the Kelowna fires. And so I brought it down with me. And so it was very embarrassing. So Fanny said, so you haven't done a book yet. And your daughter is, uh, is how old? And I said, Oh, she'd be, uh, she'd be eight now. Ooh, and she has her first book. And then they put a picture of it up on the screen. So I love it. that's great. And I, I only ask because I'm, I'm not your speaker. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I'd much rather do that than write. So, yeah. uh, and you know, and I've got lots of other people saying, you should write a book. You should write a book. I don't know. I don't know if I have a book in me, but that's okay. It's all good. You know? And, yeah. um, that's weird. Something just jumped up when I said the word podcast, it tried to go to my podcast. I'm not sure why. That's, it's a well-trained computer. I'd say. Yes. <laughs> anyway, last question before okay. we head out is what would you say um, your advice would be today to people who are, you know, starting out in their, their businesses and need to speak, to be heard, to be seen, to be heard, to, to get their message out. What would you say to them? Well, you know, it's trying to find a balance between, first of all, something that you're passionate about. Of all the many things you're passionate about, what is there something there's actually a need for? You know that'll that'll make people's lives better, help them be more more effective. Unless you just want to write for the sake of of writing, but then you're not writing. Try to get speaking business that just an expression of yourself. So you know, find that intersection between what you're passionate about, what people are are likely to hear or want to hear. And I I think that's always a good investment to get a writing coach, someone mm -hmm. that could tell you what to do, how to structure it. You know, little things like if you're going to write a book. If you get a book of a certain size that it slips through a mail slot, it saves you a ton that it yeah. has to, if it has to go as a parcel. And so there's, yeah. you know, lots of things like that and people to, to. But I, yeah. And so I'm, I'm hearing that if someone wants to speak today, it's usually because they have a book that they're promoting or, or, and, or what I love that you said was number one, be make sure it's something you're passionate about that you're speaking about, but two, make sure it's needed. And that's what I think is often missing. So that we need to check first what our audience wants. Like, like for example, I've been facilitating since before facilitating was a, a popular thing to do. People say you should write a book about, I, it's, it's never my content because it's always the clients I'm working with their content. I'm not going to write a book about their content. And quite frankly, I don't think the world is waiting for another book on facilitation. Right. So, you know, why, why would I do that? Right. So, no, but I think you've probably got so many stories in there that it would be kind of fun to hear your stories, but that's a different topic. That's not about facilitation. It's about your story. I think, yeah. I think one, one possibility, if someone wants to have a book, but doesn't like writing is get a ghostwriter. Yeah. Have someone interview you and you talk to it. So it's your content when it comes out. Mm -hmm. So it's totally credible. But if, if the drudgery part is putting your fingers on a keyboard, then find someone who loves putting their fingers on a keyboard and can interview you and use your words and, and, you know, make it so that it's pretty and use sticky language and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have a short book, start out with a short book and, uh, and then you can speak to that. And it's, I'm not sure that gets you more speaking engagements, but if you are speaking, 
it's a way for some auxiliary income if you give everyone a copy of her book, but <clears throat> make it interesting, make it useful. Don't make it so dense that people get a headache just trying to read through three pages. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, David. You are a delight and, <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that you spent time with me here. You are someone who believes the same as I do, that it's all about relationships and it's about connecting people. And that's what I love. And so thank you so much. And if you like what you heard today, please check David out at his website, which I think is davidguthrow.com. Yes, but it's spelled David G-O-U-T-H-R-O. So don't yeah, spell it be, phonetically. No, that will be in the show notes. And, <laughs> um, and along with that, um, please leave a review. We'd love that. If you uh, liked what you heard, we appreciate it. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. If this show has inspired you to reach out to connect to someone new or nurture a current or past relationship, and you think that others can benefit from listening, please share this episode. If you have feedback or questions about the episode, please leave a note in the comment sections below. If you would like to receive automatic updates of new podcast episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or from the podcast app on your mobile device. Ratings and reviews from my listeners are extremely valuable to me and greatly appreciated. They help the podcast rank higher on iTunes, which exposes my show to more awesome listeners like you. So if you have a minute, please leave an honest review on iTunes. And remember to stay connected and be remembered.